Hello, Chris Weber here from Under the Pendulum Podcast, but you probably already knew that because you are, in fact, listening to the episode right now, and we thank you for supporting us. We recorded this new episode about our personal favorite horror movies, but as we recorded, it became apparent that the episode would run well over two hours. So, we decided to break this up into three parts. Each of us will have our own shorter episode on our favorite horror film. We're trying to be kind to your brains here. So I hope you enjoyed this first part of a three-part series on horror films. Now please enjoy this episode of Under the Pendulum. Welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. Here, as always, is Heather Weber. Hello. And as Eminem asked at nauseum, guess who's back? Back again. It's it's Caitlin Weber. She's back. Hey, what's up? (laughs) Where's Dre at? Yeah, where's Dre? (laughs) We forgot about about Dre. (laughs) Yeah, they did. Everybody forgot about him. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and we understand there's a lot of anger and sorrow, fear and uncertainty kind of going through the country right now. So we hope that while you're able to take a break from the protests, clean your wounds and get back out there, um, you know, we hope this will kind of lighten your day. This will be a kind of a little lighthearted episode. We'll be putting our favorite horror films under the pendulum today. Woo. I'm so excited about this one. Yeah. Yeah, this was a fun one. I get to nerd out about a movie no one wants to see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's like somebody waiting for the day that someone just asks them a, a question about their favorite thing and they're like, oh my God, here it comes. But you're just like, well, actually. <laughs> Pull up a chair and I hope you went to the bathroom because this is going to yeah. take a while. It's going to be exactly. a long one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh so, so we, we each picked uh, our favorite horror movie, um, which was really difficult. It was really hard to pick a different, you yeah. know, like my favorite horror movie. Yes. But it also kind of was a pretty quick decision, you know? Yeah. Or even like the what constitutes a horror movie sometimes, like from drama to horror, like what is actual horror, you know? That's an oh, even I mean, more interesting question. Yeah, well, that's question. the cool thing about horror, though. It has all these subgenres, you know? It's like you have supernatural, yes. you have like, you know, zombie. I, you just you have all these different uh, subgenres that have their own characteristics, you know, kind of, you know, make them horror in their own kind of different way. I mean, horror is just a yeah. really huge umbrella term for yeah yeah, all, yeah. All i have a favorite things. in each subgenre. so when people ask my favorite horror movie i'm like well my favorite slasher my favorite paranormal my favorite you right. know just going through all right. of them i mm-hmm. <laughs> foreign you know foreign foreign yeah. horror is a whole nother thing like japanese and russian yeah or yeah like that yeah very true yeah i almost wanted to talk about heather's favorite which is hasu or oh yeah, or something oh, like that. Oh, that one. Just that's how a, utterly that's a goofy one, that yeah. one. I love that one. How many times <laughs> has she subjected that to us during some kind of like you know cooking fiasco or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, or Tatsuro, I believe it's called. That's like uh, inspires like a- Akira and stuff like that. I, re- I saw that recently. That's amazing. I haven't but... seen it yet. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs just released that one this week, so I'm gonna be watching it probably tonight or tomorrow. That's it's rad, and they use a lot of stop motion, which is really, really great. Oh That's hell awesome. yeah! So anyway, I digress. <laughs> so yeah, I guess we'll take turns, and uh, I guess I've been voted first. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. So um, who's number? Some one? people might say that the film I chose is overrated, but my favorite horror film of all time is The Exorcist. And those people can go fuck themselves. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) It's so fucking good. It is, man. It's it's a solid horror film, and it like it still holds up, you know, even forty seven years later. It's like it's just it's a really great movie, and it's got a really great story behind the production. Um, The mythos is really interesting, and you know, just sort of these Mm -hmm. cultural implications that the film had, not only at the time of its release, but also well into the future. Yeah. So. 
There are some good documentaries and podcasts about the production and history of the film. So I kind of am going to dumb it down a bit. I definitely suggest yeah. everyone listen to uh, the Inside the Exorcist podcast series. Um, they do a really great kind of in-depth, in-depth look at the production and what inspired it. And they kind of do it in this oh, kind of cool nice. like campfire sort of old radio style. It's really it's really cool. Uh, cheesy at times, but really well done. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That sounds so rad. Yeah, dude, check it out. It's really good. And it's, it's like a seven part series. Um, really well done. Yeah. Um, and I, I also recommend. Yeah, I recommend the documentary to um, Fear of God, 25 Years of the Exorcist. Um, it's got a lot, oh gosh, a ton what? of behind the scenes footage. You can find it on YouTube. Yeah. So I would definitely recommend those. And those were big sources for me. It was a lot from like the actors themselves and like in the director, the writer. Wow. And uh, yeah, I definitely recommend those. But I'll kind of condense and sort of kind of briefly go over some of that stuff. Yeah. Also, at the end, I want to talk a little bit about like what the film does, not only intentionally, but unintentionally to the audience. If any of you have not seen the film, I'll just kind of quickly explain the plot. And I will think less of you for not having seen it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> so, if you're listening to this podcast, you damn well should have seen The Exorcist by now. <laughs> it's been 47 years, or damn it. Have, or you better have been living in a basement for the last, well, Yeah, and some of, of our younger viewers might not have seen it, um, but you That's probably know of the movie. Like, you probably heard or seen, like, a yes. scene or, or something. I mean, everybody's seen Linda Blair's makeup and stuff, so. Right, and or at least, like, a parody of it, even. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's been parodied uh, like Simpsons and like, yeah, a ton of scary movie. Like, yeah, scary, some <laughs> scary shit. Movie, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. yeah. Uh, so the, the, the film re- revolves around uh, an actress, Chris McNeil, and her teenage daughter, Reagan. The daughter, seemingly out of the blue, begins to act erratically, um, becoming at times despondent and other times vulgar and violent. Things also begin moving on their own in her bedroom, and she speaks as if she's another person. And she also enjoys water sports. She does, yep. There's an awesome um, water ski segment. Very good. (laughs) So um, at first they think the girl is sick, you know, or having some sort of mental psychosis. The mother goes through an army of doctors, and no one can seem to find the source of her disturbing behavior. Having exhausted all conventional options and admitting that modern science has failed, the doctors then suggest that an exorcism might get a response from the girl. Purely a placebo, but might be effective in breaking the psychosis. So the mother enlists the help of a Catholic priest and psychologist, Father Karras, who is fighting his own demons. Uh, feeling lost and guilt-ridden after the death of his mother, he has kind of begun to lose his faith. But why, after Demi, one... why? <laughs> why you do this why to you me, do Demi? This to me, Demi? Why you do this to me? I, like, say that all the time oh, in, like, know, everyday life to this day. <laughs> why you do it to me, Demi? So I had this, when I was uh, managing this restaurant, I had a kid working for us named Damien. And yeah. every time I saw him, I'd be like, it's all for you, Damien. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. <laughs> <laughs> was, was, he different movie it. guys but still <laughs> he was he was very uncomfortable <laughs> oh my god and i just can't watching... imagine why <laughs> <laughs> but anyway oh so god. um after karis meets with reagan once he realizes that uh this is not just an extreme form of psychosis it's something much more sinister so after and getting... he may need to consider wearing diapers from here on out yeah mm-hmm <laughs> Good pair of underwear is going to be crucial. <laughs> Watching your dead mother's voice come out of a, like a little girl's fucking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that scene where like, well, it's like towards the end where um the other priest dies, but like he just starts beating the shit out of fucking dragon. It's so funny. Yeah, that's <laughs> he just like right. takes her and throws. He's just like, gah, gah, gah. <laughs> it's like she's oh still a little girl. Jesus. <laughs> I just have to say one last thing real quick. I just saw a photo of Rick James and Reagan, um, Linda Blair, like topless hugging each other. You guys got to find that photo. But it's just she probably went on a crazy ass bender for the rest of her teenage years and 20s because of like how much this movie must have impacted her. Well, and I'll get to that stuff. I mean, I have my own opinions on why it was so traumatizing. Um, I don't and I don't necessarily think it was the film the production yeah um oh yeah. oh yeah she also... the treatment people like 
treating her like she's like like frightened of her essentially well yeah it was that and kind of like how the me like yeah it was basically what the media did um you know just how they kind of like they expected and wanted her to be fucked up you know what i mean yeah and like some fucked up shit happened which we'll Mm -hmm. get into honestly it's really the audience and media that really i think kind of fucked her up and and made it into something worse than it was you know even as bad as it was which we'll again we'll get into here in a minute right Anyway, so uh, after gaining approval from the head of the church uh, for the exorcism, they enlist veteran priests and exorcist uh, Father Lancaster Marin. The two priests then go to the girl. Yeah, I know. So they go to the girl, uh, who now only slightly resembles her former self, and they tried to save her life and soul. Uh, And that's where I'm going to leave that. You know, if anybody hasn't seen it, I just recommend, you know, kind of seeing the end. But that's essentially the plot of the film. Right. So oh, I got spoilers in mine. Whoo! That's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Spoiler <laughs> well, I mean, alerts. Probably. I mean, it, like I was wondering about spoilers. I mean, like we got we just got to talk about it, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's, yep. it's going to be fine. Uh, just as long as we let people know there will be spoilers. Um, but anyway, so the book which the film was based on was written by William Blatty in 1971. Blatty was actually a successful comedy writer before writing the novel. No and shit. And while he was a t- yeah, yeah, he was like wrote a lot of comedies. Like he was a really great um, comedic, um, like screen screenwriter, basically a like, screenplay writer. Wow. Um, no, R.L. Stein was a comedy writer before he started writing those kids books. Like not no not a good shit. one. He wrote fucking like well, joke and books and shit. Oh, oh those horrible <laughs> like, like toilet Stephen joke King books. Too. They're like the silliest <laughs> bastards. It's like the funniest people can like understand true horror. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like uh, it's a really switch in your brain. But I think uh, actually I read a really interesting paper about how comedy and horror kind of work off some some similar ideas. Um, yeah, man. Well, I'll have to get into it some other time. It was a really interesting yeah, paper. That's though. It's like it was why. Why does comedy horror work really well? You know, when they seem like such opposing uh, motions. Right. Um, like John re- Landis doing American Werewolf in London and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, and both really work off of this sort of unexpected, um, like, these unexpected things that just kind of happen within a narrative or or a story or a joke. Sure. It's, you know, it's it's that that unexpected, um, you know, quality. Mishaps. Yeah, yeah, mishaps, um, you know, things that are unconventional. It just really plays on all these things that pull us out of our normal lives. Um, That's why they both can work really well in tandem. Wow. So while while Blatty was attending a Jesuit college, he heard the story of a young boy in 1949. Who, his name is unknown, but they called him Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim. Um, and this boy had allegedly been possessed. So the family kind of at a loss on how to help the boy enlisted the help of some priests to perform an exorcism. And Blatty would kind of ruminate on this story for many, many years until he finally decided to write a novel based on the story. And he kind of changed some things around, but uh, much of the phenomenon depicted in the book was kind of lifted from this case. So it's sort of loosely based wow. on a true story, you know, of, of, yeah. of a possession Thanks, story. Thanks, brother. I, didn't, I did not know that. Yeah, it's cool. It's actually it's cool to check out. Um, uh, he actually, one of the teachers that he had at the Jesuit school was one of the priests who helped perform the exorcism. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they... The priests generally were very tight-lipped about it. Yeah. Wow. Jesuits yeah. rock, too. They're interesting. I've read <laughs> right. a lot about them. So uh, the book did really, really well. And since Blatty had been a screenwriter for many years, he quickly decided to adapt the book for a film. And he just did it all himself. Um, and he sent wow. the screenplay out to many studios to get approval for the movie. And they all basically passed. Really? No one really wanted to make the film. Yeah. And finally... Yeah, I mean, there, there were a lot of, yeah, a lot of things. It wasn't only, like, the controversial, you know, aspects of, of the screenplay, but it was also, like, trying to figure out how to get a little girl to perform like this. Um, a lot of just places were, like, didn't want to touch it. You know, they're just like, that's yeah. not going to oh, happen. Oh, I bet. For um, sure. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, but Warner Brothers finally actually picks it up, and, you know, Blatty already kind of knew who he wanted to direct the film. Um, it was a young filmmaker and documentarian that he'd met years previously named uh, William Billy Friedkin. Oh, and we're going to get into Friedkin. 
So, wow. <laughs> so, but yeah, but at the time, Friedkin had just experienced his own real success with the film The French Connection. Um, a, a really just great movie. I haven't seen I've that one seen yet. That. I've heard that name thrown around. Yeah, it was really kind life. of yeah. like pretty edgy and like um, just really, really crazy for the time. You know, he took a lot of chances with the actors and sequences and it all really paid off. It, I mean, I think it won best best film um, oh, that's yeah. at the Oscars. Okay. Yeah. So so he was riding pretty high. Yeah. So the studio wanted some big actors on the bill for the film. For Father Maris, the older uh, priest and exorcist, they thought about bringing in Marlon Brando. But uh, that was shot down by Friedkin, who is like, well, then the movie would just be a Brando movie. And like, you know, yeah. just like well, take away goodness. basically. Yeah, and no shit, right? He's like, I know how to deal with a difficult actor. And he's like, not, to, not yeah. today. Yeah. So, but Blatty, but uh, I think Friedkin already knew who he wanted. It was um, Max von Sydow, who was actually only in his 40s during the movie, but they did a lot of um, makeup to make him look like he was, you know, a lot much older. That's amazing. Well, and I remember, yeah, yeah, I remember mom saying that to us when we saw it when we were pretty little. But she was like talking about how he was actually a very youngish looking man. Yeah, so yeah, he was super young. That yeah. was a... old age makeup is the hardest to do. Yeah, um, I mean, and the makeup in this film is really great. Like, because when you're you know? when you don't know much about makeup when you're a kid, you know, you just think it's like, you know, zero to a hundred monster makeup and and not like. <laughs> practical makeup like that just like mm-hmm. you know easy stuff yeah. well not easy but light stuff like that yeah mm-hmm. trying to make it look like actually organic and stuff you know like trying to make all the the seams like meld it's yeah man it's just i i'm always really impressed when they do that well yeah oh yeah so yeah so and they also they looked at a ton of big actors for the roles of father Karras and uh, chris mcneil the mother uh, so for Karis, they were thinking of Jack Nicholson or Paul Newman. Uh, Paul Newman actually really wanted to play the role. But they signed a play or pay deal with an actor uh, named Stacy Keach. But then a little while after, a successful playwright named Jason Miller contacted them and basically begged to let him audition um, as he felt he was perfect for the role. And um, after they relented and let him do the audition, they ended up buying Keach out of the role and casting Miller. He wow. was just that. He was that really? good. Mm-hmm. Wow. So for Chris, the mother, they had contacted Audrey Hepburn, Jane Fonda, Shirley MacLaine, uh, and Bancroft. Um, but all of them either couldn't do it or they turned it down. Um, <laughs> I think Jane Thinking Fonda. Thinking of Anne Bancroft doing that, that would have been fucking awesome. Yeah. I, Jane Fonda called it, like, what was it? Uh, cap- some, something, something capitalist bullshit. Like just, <laughs> I'm yeah. sure she did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was you know, not impressed. And she's like, she's not wrong in some ways. I mean, they like totally fucked up the life of a little girl through like media and stuff like that. But you know, well, I mean, well, that yeah. was just an afterthought. You know, it wasn't. Yeah, true. The yeah, I think intention. I think she was she was talking about more the content and not you know wasn't yeah she wasn't thinking of like wider implications of other people. She just thought it was like cheap bullshit. You know, like, yeah. whole, like cheap right. horror bullshit. Right, yeah. right, So all these people couldn't do it. Audrey Hepburn was, like, not a good choice, I don't think. I don't know. No. She just, it's... She's not, too soft-spoken, I suppose. Yeah, maybe. not sure. I, I just didn't feel, it doesn't feel right. But, um, so they were contacted by Ellen uh, Burstyn, and she was relatively unknown at the time, but she actually called Freakin directly and said it was her destiny that she plays this role. And after much grumbling oh, wow. from the studios because she wasn't well-known enough and had never acted as a lead, they hired her on. Uh, they finally relented That's and hired her. That's fucking great. And she's yeah. done so much good work since. And yeah, she's, she's amazing. Really she's really so great good. in that film, man. She's, Ugh. like, super, yeah, super believable. And... I wonder I wonder if she went to a psychic or something or somebody told her along, her, like, the way, like, stopped her in the fucking streets, like, you must be in the X or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's really weird that it kind of worked for her calling and kind of, you know, like, I don't know, I guess, you know, making it known how much she felt, you know, this role or how much, you know, she kind of like felt like she could do the role justice. Um, and it came across, you know, that that phone call yeah. did the trick. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's and a I really mean, crazy even the way. way structurally, yeah, even the way her face is shaped, it's like her to Reagan to Captain Howdy, like they just 
they almost fit together as far as like in the, in the same family, like 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 a, a stream of buildings. I don't know if I'm getting too conceptual with that, but it's just she looks great with it. Yeah, actually, a little later, I'll I'll talk about like facial, like how why these actors are so good, and a lot of it, some of it is their face to me. For me, anyway, this is kind of my own personal. That's rad. Hell yeah, um, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so um, obviously, Reagan's role, uh, the the girl and the possessed, uh, she was hardest for them to cast. They were not only asking a little girl to like do and say these awful things, but they're also asking like the parents to agree to have their child be in the f- major feature film doing these things. Um, so they audi- blood. Yeah, right. <laughs> so they they auditioned hundreds of girls, um, and some were not quite what they were looking for, and some of the parents rejected the role after reading the script, as you know probably would think. Right. Um, they seriously courted Denise Nickerson, who had played Violet in Willy Wonka. No. <laughs> I know. Yeah, they that that about doing her. Um, that blows my fucking mind. I know it's funny. Yeah. Wow. Um, but the trouble—it's so amazing. Yeah, just, yeah. Like just the way future, like just streams of consciousness could have been totally changed if, like, just little things like that, like her being associated with both, you know, Violet and and The Exorcist. Yeah, it's, and it's funny. funny how these little things kind of sync up to make this movie happen and make it the way it, it turned out in a lot of ways yeah. you know it's just these wow. little weird things because like the trouble was you know it's obviously getting a young girl who could hold the film up because she you know it's very young and she's basically the main role um mm-hmm. it also kind of performed the parts despite them being very controversial and disturbing things and you know talk about little things that happen it just so happened that you know linda blair's mom just kind of marched into the the casting office and said you you know please audition my girl and like she actually really liked the book the in the in the screenplay the exorcist you know, wow, of the exorcist cool. so yeah they they agreed to audition linda blair who was just sort of a young model at the time wasn't even really much of an actress but they quickly chose her after kind of talking with her and kind of seeing her demeanor and how she was and like and i totally agree i think she's absolutely perfect um, she yeah and how her, utterly man. talented she must have been yeah for yeah sure. yeah man yeah, so they chose her, and you know, then we have this kind of this main main cast that I think is just like a, a really great kind of group of unknown actors and actresses that really make this film what it is. Yeah. So filming starts in August of 1972 and is only supposed to last about three or four months, but due to a lot of problems and setbacks, it goes well over. The opening scene is set on an archaeological dig site in the ancient city of Hatra, um, which is now modern-day Mosul in Iraq. And this is just sort of a weird uh, fact that I thought was interesting and spooky. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. on by the site, um, in the late 80s, a mass genocide of mostly Kurdish women, children, and men took place under, under Saddam Hussein's regime. Um, it was called the Anfal, which is sort of named for this part of the Quran where a bunch of Muhammad's... Um, Followers go and pillage a bunch of villages uh, of non-believers. Saddam Hussein enlists his cousin, uh, Ali Hassan al-Mashid, I would hope I said that right, to uh, head up this campaign of mass murder. So they bombed, gassed, shot, and used other chemical weapons to murder between 50,000 and 100,000 Kurds, which are mostly villagers. And they dumped them into these mass graves, and one of these graves being near the site uh, where that opening scene was filmed in Hatra. Wow. So that's neat and creepy. Well, it, that's really interesting. You bring that up because the 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 main guy is a Zuzu, right? That's that's uh, the Pazuzu, name of the yeah, demon. Yeah, the, uh, he's Pazuzu, he's a Mesopotamian. Right. Uh, yeah. I'll get into him a little later, but he's a Mesopotamian demon, basically king of the demons of the wind. But it, but kind of like we talked in the last right. Succubus episode, um, was how demons were kind of both bad and good figures in ancient times. Like they weren't well, always I... just evil, you know? Right. That's what I was going to mention because it, it, if you saw that um, new series on, on cursed films, did you guys see that? Mm-hmm. Well, the, like yeah. the most interesting thing that they brought about brought up about Pazuzu was that arch, arch, ugh, anthropologists are arch, arch, ugh, I can't archaeologists. Thank you. But she brought up about um, how Pazuzu was usually carried around in like a little figure and they found little figures of Pazuzu everywhere. And it usually protected, you know, pregnant women and women with children. 
and stuff like that. So them having a statue that large of Pazuzu must have been really powerful and all about protecting a village and protecting a space. Well, yeah, like I mean, that, well, the, so. the statue in the film's fake. Um, it's, it's just a made production. But, you know, obviously Pazuzu's not, but the, oh. the statue is. But, no, but you're not wrong about, you know, ancient societies Well, and really... that's why she mentioned it. She was like, it must have, like, it could have cursed the film because they made such a powerful figure. Like a, a statue of Pazuzu bigger than ever. Yeah, ancient societies and, you know, in certain cities, um, you know, sometimes thought some statues of a god or a deity was actually an embodiment. And so it was like, mm-hmm. uh, so say like the Assyrians came and they sacked Babylon and they took some of the statues of their gods or their deities. And it wasn't only like a way to be like, hey, got your, you know, fuck you, got your god. Um, oh my God, fucking Romans but it was all, But it was also like would kind of stop some religious ceremonies and things because like the god was gone, the deity was gone. So you're, you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm pointing out like, the importance of totems to like oh totally religious views and stuff what you see in the movie you know it's like not only do you see him have the little totem but you see reagan makes little uh, little molds and statues and things out of clay so it's these this connection through time of through these totems which is just a really interesting part of the movie that sure is (laughs) so anyway um there's a lot of insane things that happened during the production, and it leads many to believe that the film was cursed, even the crew itself. Um, so, yeah, I'll just kind of go through some of the production stuff here. Give some honorable mentions. Yeah. Number one. <laughs> it's like this uh, <laughs> shitty <laughs> top 25. Shut it out. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Uh, so both Linda Blair and Ellen Burstyn uh, received back injuries from stunts gone wrong. In the scene where Fuck Reagan yeah. strikes her mother and she flies back, Ellen had a harness that some stage tech was just yanking. And they did a lot of takes to try to get the right one. And the guy never uh-huh. really let up, even after Ellen complained that she was being hurt. So as a result, she would have spinal problems for the rest of her life. And uh, so oh, if you no. look in the scene and she looks like she's a lot of anguish it's real like she's actually yeah. really hurt her back and they'd use that take for the film because it was more authentic Dan and we can say like yank harder like this yeah isn't yeah good he, was, like, he was he was dude harder. we'll we'll get into how much of a fucking asshole he was um, yeah for wow. sure uh, but yeah he basically ignored it was just like uh, oh okay we'll 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 slow up you know, just like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Pull harder. Fucking asshole. Fucking yeah, he's a fucking dick. Boys club mentality um, back then. Fucking assholes. Made a great film, though. Made a great film. Yeah, uh, it's true. <laughs> so, but Linda's back was also hurt when a piece of metal from this kind of reinforcement that they had around her back, um, it came loose um, on in the scene where she's being violently, sh- you know, shaken back and forth on the bed. Oh, my God. Dude, you just watch that and you're like, she's getting fucked up. Yeah, yeah, she is, um, and she's being thrashed around, and, and this metal thing is just just hitting her. She's just hitting it. And so in the scene when she cries, you know, but please, it hurts, stop. Um, they use it in the movie, and it, but it's really her actually crying out. Oh, no, poor thing. I know, That's it's super, rough. yeah. Eight people supposedly died during and after filming. Yeah, I didn't get right. any of the, the things, but it was like some ca- some family members of the cast and crew some yeah. members of the cast and crew died during. So mm-hmm. just this kind of a lot of people just sort of dropped it around this that short period of time. And early on, a mysterious fire burned down almost all of the first set. Everything was destroyed except wow. Reagan's room, where the exorcism scenes would be filmed. Um, and it's still a mystery on how that fire actually started. Wow. Ooh. So an actor who and played Prodigy the wasn't even t- around yet. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Damn you, prodigy! <laughs> the fire starter, twisted fire starter. <laughs> so, uh, the actor who played the uh, X-ray technician, Paul Bateson, uh, he was convicted of murdering a film oh, critic shit. in 1979. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh my and god! He was also I totally implicated know the story. It's so in... fucked up. Yeah, yeah. So he's also implicated in the killing of six other men. Um, it was said that he lured gay men to his place where he killed them, dismembered the bodies, and placed them in bags which he then threw into the Hudson River. He served time for the murder of the film critic, but he was never prosecuted for the other murders. Oh, my God. Make of that as what you will. Jeez, man. Yeah. And it's, um, it's so funny that he's the one in the scene that 
puts the fucking giant ass needle in her neck. Yeah, the which tracheotomy. Is so yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. Dude, that scene makes me. Qu- actually, I'm about to just. Okay, so all the medical scenes were done at a real facility and sometimes actually have right. real medical personnel. Those those scenes are the most disturbing. I think actually that those are the ones that made people sick. The one, the tracheotomy where all the blood spurts, yeah. that made me queasy just the last time I ah! watched it. I was like, I, I was like, know. oh, I got to lay yeah. back. Oh, God. But yeah, it's also, it's like the, the, he uses a lot of like, not only disturbing images, but, you know, a lot of loud, cold, sterile sounds and just like all these jarring noises from the machinery. And kind of we see Reagan being tortured by modern science and technology just as much as she'll be tortured by the demon later, which is a really yeah. interesting part of the scenes. Wow, that is um, interesting. But those, felt so those are the ones I think that, during that. Yeah, I think those are the ones that fuck people up the most, man. I it, mean... It, made me very uncomfortable <laughs> and like what if one of one of us had to go get an x-ray or something like that and it was a machine that old and we walk in the room and we see it making these loud ass noises and like just like and be like no yeah. i'm not gonna I'm like not gonna and she had to do like thing. like i mean not actually <laughs> not actually linda blair but in the movie you know the the character has to get like a couple spinal taps and like yeah, but she's just li- literally being tortured by you know modern technology and science which i you know i'm, yeah. I'm assuming is you know, one of the undertones of the film. That's um, so interesting, yeah. But most notorious of all these facts is, again, what a bastard in terror the director William Friedkin was. Um, he often shot various guns off in the studio and near actors to scare or startle them before a scene. He was, uh, as we said, he he intentionally ignored the complaints of Ellen about being hurt. They actually got a priest to play Father Karras's friend, um, and, the, and it was his name was Father O'Malley. And he wasn't convincing enough in the scene because he wasn't an actor. He was a real priest. So Friedkin slaps him across the face and makes him act out this last scene right at the end. Or the last oh, right scene no. at the end. Yeah. And so Damn he's like, cricket, he's, you know, man. his hand's shaking and he's really startled. And it's because he just got fucking just whacked across the fucking chops. Seriously. Yes. Yeah. Dude, crazy. But he gets these great scenes or these great. It's fucked up. Yeah. You know? It's like. Um, he knew what he was going for. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just he just did shit like that. He would just, you know, fucking torture these Bitch people. Bitch slap basically. people. Bitch slap professionals. Don't we all wish we could do that? <laughs> <laughs> so um, in the scene where the two priests are exercising Regan, um, you see their breaths as the demon inside Regan makes the room unbearably cold. And the room for those scenes was actually kind of built in in basically a giant freezer. They they added all oh, these no industrial, yeah. They added all these industrial air conditioners to keep the room at freezing temperatures, uh, so they could catch the icy breaths and make the you know make it a little more realistic for the actors. How and the rooms would sometimes get below zero, and everyone would be wearing like these parkas and stuff. But Linda Blair had to shoot many of her scenes just in a nighty. You know, oh, dude, damn. yeah, fucking. Man, and, um, I am, I'm a yeah, turd. I'm a freeze turd. I don't like to be cold for that long, and I can't imagine Dude, what that man. feels like. And she just, she like, despite all these things, she still pulls off like this amazing performance. Like it's yeah, just in, really just it just lends more to her as an act, a young actress, you know. Yeah. So when the film was almost done, they had to think about how to make Linda Blair's voice more demonic, more unsettling. So they tried audio manipulation, but it didn't have the desired effect all the time. You know, they used some things, but it, it just wasn't quite what they were looking for. So Freakin yeah. wanted an overdub by someone and had the idea to enlist legendary radio actress Mercedes McCambridge. So she was in her late 50s um, by this time, and she had been a recovered alcoholic. So for the role, which she accepted after reading, uh, she decided to take a break from her sobriety. She insisted on drinking whiskey, chain-smoking cigarettes, and eating raw eggs to get the desired vocal effects. Um, you know, that kind of raspy, harsh, uh, That's harsh, a fucking woman's harsh. voice? Yeah. Yeah, because, um, yeah, well, he, they wanted no. her. Yeah, dude. Um, it, you know, she had, does this, again, like kind of this raspy, harsh, like androgynistic, um, aggressive tone to her voice because he wanted what? it to be like... Not quite male, not quite female, you know, kind of in this, but still have a f- sort of a feminine quality because it's coming from Reagan. And she just does this oh great God. job. Yeah. So um, Mercedes crazy, brings two priests with her uh, to help her keep focus and to help her keep from relapsing after it was all over. Freakin also strapped her to a chair when recording so she could struggle against them as she performed. 
you know, she also utilized her own lifelong bronchitis uh, to get the wheezing effects that you hear. I mean, no. uh, honestly, dude, one of the most amazing vocal performances ever. Wow, how I, I dedicated would, I mean, just, is that? I mean, in, to my opinion, it's one of the reasons I love that movie so much. She's the real MVP, man. And wasn't she uncredited? Well, uh, there was a controversy because uh, Freakin said that after recording, she told him, don't give me a credit. She, you know, um, Linda Blair did such an, an amazing job, and I think it'll be more impactful if you don't credit me. Keep in mind, also, she was drinking a right. ton of whiskey and kind of re- relapsed. But then, you know, so oh, no. she's like, don't make, I won't even accept it if you make me take a credit. And Freakin said that he said, okay. And so he didn't credit her. And then after the opening of the film, she basically is like, you fuck, you fucked me. Like, what the hell do you think you're doing not crediting me? Yeah. So it's kind of like a he said, she said. Ultimately, right. she oh. ended up getting the credit, which she absolutely deserved. But, yeah, you know, I, who knows? It's either Friedkin telling the truth or he just tried to pull a fast one, you know, and, wow. and kind of knowing yeah. him. I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. So, yeah, there's well, a, there was guys, a lot I'm of legal... going to go on a new diet now. I'm going to get back on chain smoking, drinking whiskey and eggs <laughs> and we'll, uh, you know, convene in a couple months and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> It'll we'll be right. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> nothing will go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of legal stuff too that you can you can um, listen to and read about. I, I won't get into any of that. Wow. But, um, yeah, I won't yeah. bore you with that jargon. <laughs> so I guess the last little thing I'll have is uh, there's some really cool Easter eggs, um, which you know I, I would encourage everybody to see the film if you haven't seen it. Yeah. And every time you watch it, you notice new things. Um, I'm just gonna say one that I noticed. So when Karis takes the recording of the demon's voice um, in Regan to a voice expert. There's this banner that hangs over the office that says uh, Tasukete. And it's just kind of weird, just kind of, you know, you don't really notice it. Um, but when I looked up the word, it's Japanese for please help me. And in a later Whoa. scene, one just like almost right after, you see the words help me appear on Reagan's body. Wow. So it's really cool. There's like cool That's little things kind of thrown in, you know, like they said it was subliminal messaging, but it's, it's I don't know, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. How so, fascinating. Yeah, those are just some cool facts um, from the production. When it was released finally, it was a huge success, and the mythos around the film grew even more. Moviegoers were said to have fainted, some vomited, some converted. Um, a woman was said to have had a <laughs> vomited, miscarriage. Vomited, converted. Yeah. Um, a man went before the congregation at a Catholic church in the UK, and he lit himself on fire there on the pulpit. No fucking way. <laughs> Yeah, I guess to, to, to protest the movie or something. I don't know. Um, wow. Riots occurred when people couldn't get in to see it. Um, you know, critics, crit- and critics hated the film, but audiences loved it. So it was actually a pretty big success, you know. Ain't that some shit? Yeah. I mean, <sighs> and a really important thing about The Exorcist is, you know, it's instrumental in kind of turning horror into a legitimate form of film. Yeah. Instead of kind of like this jokey, you know, like, uh, it's just, you know supernatural right. bullshit you know because it, it was all hokey for yeah a long time yeah it was and you know just wasn't ever taken very seriously i mean rosemary baby yeah. rosemary's baby kind of also helped but this one really yeah. did because yeah. it was nominated for yeah, 10 academy means. awards that year wow. um, really? it only came wow. yeah it only came away with best screenplay adaption and best sound mixing but it really helped to legitimize the horror genre yeah, and it definitely. is actually still one of the highest grossing r-rated films in history to this day like, I think it's still in, like, top 25 highest. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I'm sure I'm sure anytime they re-release it in theaters, too, it's just, like, it still does very well. Oh, yeah. I want to I wanna re-see it. I, I want to go to see it in theaters or yeah, something. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That'd be fucking awesome. Well, if they ever do midnight showings, we should go. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'd, be so, I'd be so excited. <laughs> yeah. So, why is this my favorite horror film i mean there's and there, again there were so many to choose from um and they all have their different qualities and why they're good you know and i could talk about some cliche undertones and themes like the battle between good and evil or you know the animalistic side of our psyches and biology taking over our humanity or the relationship and conflicts of faith in a modern world but i'm not going to talk about any of those things <laughs> one thing that i think still makes this movie exceptional is the acting is just really great um, the yeah. actors really embody their characters and their looks and the small minutia of their faces really tell you a great deal about their characters before they even speak a word of dialogue. 
Yeah. You know, it just, they, um, man, I just, I really can't even just begin to talk about how much I love the acting in this film. Like even sometimes when it comes mm-hmm. off hokey, it's still believable. You know, you yeah. still, you still buy into the characters. And I mean, and Linda Blair is just like, I mean, rightfully the star of the film. Um, you yeah. Know, even though incredible. Mercedes does most of the demon's voice, you know, Linda Blair's ability to manipulate and emote her facial expressions is just really amazing to watch, especially at such a young age. It's like this really mature oh, yeah. approach to the character. Um, and, you know, sometimes the voice of Mercedes isn't quite synced up, but it actually just kind of makes the character more unsettling as it really isn't Reagan's voice to begin with. You know, it kind of makes yeah. it this really crazy quality. And obviously Mercedes' vocal performances is just one of the best I've heard. Mm-hmm. You know, and another reason that the acting is so great is that Freakin was such a nightmare director that many of the shots and re- um, have real emotions and reactions behind them. You know, yeah. wow. so it's like even though it's just like you fucking turd, mm-hmm. that's one reason that the movie is so great because there's a lot of authenticity. Yep. Pulling a fucking know, Hitchcock you. on them, that's what he's doing, dude. Yeah, yeah, me, yeah, fucking me and uh, James Cameron, dude. Me and Emily he's were a fucking talking nightmare about nightmare too. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we were talking really? about it's like, man, it sucks because like these directors shouldn't be able to get away with some of this shit but you also have like these amazing pieces of art it's just really it's just weird ethical kind of conversation you know Um, yeah and i mean for sure and and that goes back to again like there's it's just it's harder to do things now because of that but it's for these reasons you know yeah no and and rightfully so like mm -hmm. directors shouldn't be able to do some shit to their to their actors and actresses you know yeah, I mean, thank goodness for unions. I mean, yeah. <laughs> watching the history of, of film and how many people were totally fucked up or dead from things, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, um, and the movie also has one of my favorite sets in a film, which is Reagan's Room. Um, oh, it's really yeah. simple. And by the time the exorcism's happening, everything has been taken out except kind of the defiled bed that, you know, the demon now lays on. Uh, the room's bare, and everything that would have made it Reagan's room is gone. Uh, just kind of this empty husk of a child's room. And the room be- kind of becomes its own microcosm as well. It's like it's taken out of our reality and moved into another. You know, it, it shakes and it cracks. It's freezing and is essentially the den of a demon taken out of the real world. And it makes the scene yeah. feel really claustrophobic, and it gives everything the actors are doing that much more of an impact because there's nothing extraneous kind of right. um, taking your eye away. You're right, man. Every time they open that door after the room goes to hell, it's just like another world. Yeah, it really is. It's it's It just feels very detached from everything, which is just a really great effect yeah. with such a simple set. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. And, and the grittiness. That, but it's so true. And it's painted like a yeah. hospital room, from my opinion, like from my yeah, but Yeah. Kind of cold. Yeah, yeah. It's it just these very neutral kind of white, off-whitish color, you know? And the right. lighting's very dark and turned down. Yeah. Yeah. And also the grittiness of the film really helps to sell the special effects and acting. Um, it kind of mm-hmm. feels as if anything could be lurking in any given shot, which is why I love, There's, like, the old VHS yeah. old thing. It's like, remember when they redid Night Before Christmas in, like, high def? Yes. And it kind of sucked because you could see, like, the strings and you could see yeah it's just like you kind of read i don't know that movie really worked and a lot of those old movies work because of the grittiness and the kind of vhs yeah. quality of the films yeah. you know? i totally I noticed that in the movie that i'm going to talk about next too like yes. i watched it recently high def and i'm like oh fuck look at that <laughs> and see a seam <laughs> yeah, there <that> sucks, yeah. <laughs> yeah i did the same and i was like oh this just doesn't look right i wish i was watching this on vhs because yeah same thing yeah yeah, I. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it just really sucks. They try to fix it up, and it just actually just makes yeah. it less believable a lot of times. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the real reason I like this movie so much it's the way it makes like me, but other people feel as well. It. I'm gonna put on my little English major cap here. Um. It play. <laughs> it plays on these really human fears of invasion. Uh, invasions in our everyday lives and routines, invasions of our minds, of our faiths, of our our bodies, and our very livelihoods. You know, possession mm-hmm. scares people because it isn't a monster that comes and eats up in our families or us. External, you know, it gets yeah. In, yeah, it gets inside and it wears... It controls you. Wears us like a garment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. body and the mind, they're hijacked and used for these, you know, really blasphemous and profane deeds. 
um, all while they parade around in our skins. You know, and the choice right. to make the victim a little girl kind of elicits an even more visceral reaction as our societies often look at little girls and children in general as one of the purest things in the world. Right. And, you know, and here they are on screen and in technicolor being tainted and tortured. Yeah. It is this sort of like Victorian supernatural story where the world, where the real world and regular people's lives are invaded or intruded upon by a supernatural force. And because the regular characters can't accept this otherworldliness, the terror kind of grows and becomes greater to the point where the characters are left helpless as they pursue, you know, superficial solutions. Um, I read a cool article by Robert Geary um, called The Exorcist, Deep Horror? Question mark. Um, but he points out that the opening scene in Dracula is actually a great example of this. Um, the ultra-rational Englishman Jonathan Harkins is unsuspectingly thrust into a dark world of supernatural beings and phenomena which he is helpless to resist, no matter how much he tries. You know, his original disregard for the superstitions of the townspeople brings low his sense of superiority in the face of forces greater than himself and the things that he holds dear. And this really translates to the exorcists and the players within the film. Father Karras and Chris McNeil both are brought low in many ways by something far greater than themselves, their fame, or even their lack of faith. Uh, the ending is supposed to be somewhat hopeful, but I never quite got that feeling. You leave feeling no. like you were a child and an adult told you everything is going to be all right when it really isn't. Because the uh. demon can always come back. And what makes this movie interesting for horror is it reaches back through time in our history to evoke an entity that has been around in many forms for thousands of years, you know, the demon. And it's no surprise in that vein that they would use the Mesopotamian king of demons of the wind, uh, Pazuzu, as the demon who possesses Reagan. Our own demons, the demons from our often dark and violent history, can come back at any moment, take any form, and possess us to deny our own humanity. Bam. Damn, Chris, drop that mic. I was thinking, like, oh, no, go ahead, Chris. No, 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 you go ahead. I was thinking while you were, like, while you were talking about um, what Reagan was symbolizing and also bringing up Dracula, um, it just seems that an adolescent girl is also a very powerful symbol as well. Like, it's, you know, a woman, a a girl going from being a girl to uh, a woman. Sorry, that was long long explanation (laughs) but just you know how powerful that is and like they say that you know there's more psychic energy around an adolescent girl and just you know that that newfound power of being able to make life yeah yeah we could talk about the potency of sacrificing a virgin a young virgin girl exactly what what sort of magical properties and potency that has uh yeah so you're exactly right yeah i mean the choice to make that a little especially a little girl is really impactful i think what is one one of the main reasons that really disturbed people the most it wasn't really the demonic possession and it wasn't always the awful things that were said or done it was the fact that it was coming from a little girl is what i think really hit a lot of people hard yeah and like and and when you when you're going from being a little girl to a woman there's like a shift in also the gaze on you and just how you're perceived, even anybody in your family. I mean, you now have a different type of power and you you will have that power and that curse until you're no longer fertile or desirable or anything like that. It's just, it's crazy. Yeah, well, that's an interesting reading, actually, because you could say that, you know, she, being tainted by the demon, you know, now she is sort of cursed. You know, she is like always going to carry this thing around with her and, you know, and always be or feel differently, you know, because yeah. of this like new, I, I just like this new thing that she's entered, you know, this new maturity and like, uh, and, and experience, you know, um, Absolutely, yeah, that's, a, that's yeah. actually, I didn't think about that. That's a really interesting reading. So, oh yeah, uh, yeah, sure. that's what I got. Exorcist is my Yay. favorite horror film. Bravo. Thank you. Nice. So, uh, plugs. Oh, so yes. you can find us on Instagram at under pendulum podcast on Twitter at pendulum underscore pod on Facebook at under the pendulum podcast. And you can find all our shows on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, um, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. You can find me at Christopher Weber on Facebook and Christopher Weber 13 V on Instagram. 
you can find me at uh, Frothy Stardog on Instagram. That's a uh, that's typically where I post all my cool stuff. And um, on Facebook, uh, Kate Weber. That's K A I T Weber. And where else? I think that's about it for me. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Heather? Oh, where I. Where can the people find you? Oh, uh, I believe it's H W Thomas on Instagram. I can never remember my freaking handles. I think it's H N sister. <laughs> Okay, H.N. Thomas, you know. H.N. Thomas! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. You just, you know, you can, you'll be able to find me through our, for our, through our pod stuff, so. Yep. And also <laughs> uh, listen to Heather's uh, narrations that she does for several um, oh, yes. horror podcasts. Tales to Terrify, Wicked Library, The Lift. Heck yeah. Pseudopod. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us, everyone. I hope you enjoyed um, our personal takes on horror films, and we'll be back with another episode. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Love you, Bob. They're coming to get you, Bob. <laughs> Your mother sucks cocks in hell. <laughs> <laughs>